You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, we first have a question that comes from uh, our message on Sunday. So on Sunday, we were preaching about uh, forgiveness and the authority of forgiveness. You can check it out here on the podcast, but uh, we get into the language of binding and loosing when it comes to comes to uh, forgiveness. Uh, Peter is given the keys to heaven, and he's told that Whatever he binds on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever he looses on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the question that somebody asked was just like, they thought that binding was something that was related to to demons. You know, you bind a demon. And you kind of still hear that in modern talk amongst those who uh, are especially known for, for casting out demons, like, or maybe even just movies, you know, like, demon, I bind you in the name of Jesus. So... You do get that uh, that talk still thrown around there, uh, but that that uh, isn't what we're looking at when Peter is told that he can bind and loose. Um, <clears throat> a good example as to why this is 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 just think of the logic of how that works, right? That would mean that Peter is going around binding some demons, but also loosing some demons. That sounds kind of counter Christian, counter. <laughs> what Jesus sent us out to do since we're here to cast out demons. Plus it means like if they're bound on earth and, uh, uh, or if we bind them on earth, they're bound in heaven. It would also mean like if we loose them on earth, they're loosed in heaven. So we're loosing demons into heaven. Again, uh, the language just doesn't quite make sense. Now, Jesus does talking, talk about, uh, binding demons. He, he tells, uh, the Pharisees at one point, like I, I need to go and bind the strong man and clearly he's talking about casting out demons in this situation. So he has to bind the strong man so that he can uh, uh, free kind of that person from demonic oppression. So, sure, we we do see uh, binding related to demons, but we just need to know, like, the context of the word, right? There's many words today that mean many different things. And uh, in order to figure out what you mean by an exact word, you need to, like, Okay, which way did he mean it? Did he mean it this way, that way, that way? Same's true here in the Bible. In fact, uh, other people wouldn't even say we're talking about forgiveness. Some people think that Peter was given the keys to bind and loose with the idea of how religious leaders of Jesus's time bound and loose things. So when we look at uh, tradition, they would uh, bind or loose kind of the scriptures to give people leeway as to what rules and laws and regulations that were in the Bible, how to live up to them. So they might like kind of loose one a little bit to give it kind of a a fresher cultural feel for the people of the time, or they might keep you bound to these rules. So some some scholars think that when Peter was given the keys to the kingdom to bind and loose, that uh, he was being given permission to um, make people live up to certain laws and give people the space to not live up to other laws. Uh, the reason that some scholars come to this conclusion is, of course, when we fast forward to Acts, the Gentiles get saved. And as we're reaching the Gentiles, the early church gets together. They're like, okay, God clearly wants to reach all the nations, so that means we need to figure out what we make them live up to. 
And they kind of decide like, look, we have never been able to live up to the law as it is. So how about we just give them a few like real good rules to live up to no sexual immorality, uh, no B, C, D, E, you know, just a, a list of like, I think it was just four or five rules. Like if they can do these things out of the 600 rules where we were given, if they can live up to these few things in our culture, then they'll, they'll be good. So some people do interpret the fact that Peter binds and looses. They, uh, think that has to do with him having the space to say, uh, okay, so we were held up to these rules by Scripture, now we're loosening it so that we don't have to live up to it in the same way, uh, and binding these rules, these still stay, things like that. Some people do interpret it that way. Demons isn't really on the table as a way to interpret these verses of binding and loosing in these cases, um, but some do take it into a traditional way of what the Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders did, and comparing that to maybe Jesus giving Peter the ability to do that, since the apostles are going to do that later in Acts. I still don't think that's what's going on, though, uh, obviously, because I preached it about forgiveness. I think when you look at the other passages that talk about binding and loosing in the Gospels, especially John, because John's kind of like capitalizing right on the binding and loosing thing. He's uh, kind of retelling the story with his own own kind of direction. And he's saying, like, if you forgive them, I forgive them. If you withhold forgiveness, I withhold forgiveness. So that's like, uh, for John, for me, I, I think John's just given, like, his own words, how he would say binding and loosing. So, again, uh, you can go check out our Sunday podcast, The Authority to Forgive, and you'll kind of hear everything that we were just uh, talking about. Uh, but I hope that uh, kind of gives you an answer for the question that you were asking. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the Bible. Uh, we're, I mean, that's generally what we're always doing here on this podcast. Um, but today we are going to talk more about like the Bible as the Bible. Uh, we're not going to dive too deep into um, a particular passage. We are going to get into the Cain and Abel story. That's what's going to lead us into talking about the Bible. But before we get there, uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit. So I want to talk about um, the Bible as infallible, okay? So there are different ways that people perceive what the Bible is. And the way that most of us have been taught, if you grew up in a rather conservative household, was that the Bible was a inerrant document in which everything in it is perfect and everything is exactly as though God had written it himself and it is um, uh, exactly what it needs to be. Not one word is wrong or off. There are no errors whatsoever. And, you know, yeah, that's just generally how we all grew up. And that's generally how we feel. Uh, you know, there are some people who are way too liberal on this topic. They're like, no, nah, it doesn't matter. It's nothing. Uh, I, you are not going to hear me get anywhere close to that. I, I disagree with that full-heartedly. However, that's one extreme to say, oh, the Bible's just a book that, you know, some people wrote. That's one extreme. The other extreme is like, the Bible is inerrant, completely perfect. There are no problems whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. Every last comma is exactly as God would have written it. And that's what I want to talk about today, because we're going to see in the Cain and Abel story 
Uh, just a, a small discrepancy that is already going to make us wonder about this inerrant mindset. So, again, liberal side is uh, is just a book, human book. Conservative, super conservative side, if you will, is like it is exactly perfect. And then the infallible side, which is what I would take up, is to say that the Bible is perfect for all that it exists for. And I think the Bible itself kind of explains like it, what it is perfect for. It all, uh, we got 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, that statement right there is a glorious statement about this this book that we call Scripture, we call the Bible, this holy, sacred book from God. Um, but it, it makes a few statements as to what Scripture is, you know. It talks about uh, what it is good for, how we are to use it, and it talks about it being breathed by God. Uh so some people just take that statement as like God spoke every single word of the Bible into place exactly as it is. And if you would say that, then by all means, you have to say like the Bible's inerrant because God is not imperfect, right? However, um, that's honestly, that's that's more like the belief of other religions. In other religions, you have like an angel show up and and dictates their holy scriptures to to one of their prophets. You know, we have this idea, we, we take that kind of idea and we transfer it over into Christianity where we think like these Bible writers, suddenly their eyes roll into the back of their head, their hands are possessed by the Spirit of God and they begin automatic writing, which is often associated with uh, demonic stuff, by the way. So, but that's, that's how we think Christianity works for some reason. That's how we think we got the Bible, is in the same way that other religions did, in the same way that uh, uh, the demons work. But that is not the picture that we're painted in, in Scripture at all. The Bible is a very human book, but breathed by God, inspired by God. So it's like this, just in the way God put us on the earth to co-labor with him, to subdue the earth, and and take it over on his behalf and fill it with Eden. That's the way that God works on, on so many things in existence. He co-labors with us. And so the, the Bible is not just like he rolls people's eyes on the back of their head and they wrote it down. The Bible is God's spirit coming out upon, upon a person and inspiring them. So the book is still human. It's still a, a human being working on something, but it's God filling that human being in the same way that we look at other spiritual gifts, right? Where we know, like, on most spiritual gifts, it's not like suddenly I'm fully possessed and God's just suddenly preaching words out of me because I'm inspired or something like that. No, it's God begins to bring thoughts into my head, begins to speak to me words that I should say, and, and, and it works in me in that way, you know? Uh, and the same in any spiritual gift. No one's, like, so possessed that they have no control. Uh, there's always kind of like this human element of a human working with the Spirit of God. That would be the infallible view, this idea that it's a human book, but it's a God book. God has worked through humans to write it, 
And therefore, when you read it, you're not just going to see only God's fingerprints, but occasionally, um, actually quite often, you're going to see human fingerprints as well. And uh, that's the way that God wants it to be. And so, since humans are working on this book we call the Bible, this very important holy book of God, since humans are working on it, you're going to find time and time again little imperfections or uh, errors because humans make errors. Humans make uh, are, are imperfect, right? So, for example, let's just talk about the Gospels. Uh, we, we were just preaching uh, two weeks ago on the Gerasene demoniac. Now, we preached on this a few seasons back in the podcast on, on our series in Mark. And if you remember, when we got to the Gerasene demoniac, Jesus comes in contact with one guy who has a legion of demons. That's how we usually know the story best, right? But when we read it in Matthew, like we just did two weeks ago, if you were paying close attention and you're used to the one guy with demons, a legion of demons, you might have been caught off guard when you heard this week that Jesus went to their land and found two guys with demons. That should throw us off a little bit if we're going to say that the Bible is completely inerrant, there's no problem. Now, honestly, if you need to sort this out that way, that like the Bible has no errors, then what you have to say is both of these people are right, right? That sounds like an error, but some people might work around and say, okay, so uh, Jesus went and cast demon, a legion of demons out of one guy, left, and then Matthew's retelling another story. Another time Jesus went there and cast demons out of two guys this time. And then also cast these ones into pigs, and they all jumped off a cliff. Yeah, like, that's just illogical. Anyone who reads these stories know we're reading the exact same story, but some of the facts are a little different. So I don't know about you, but when I see facts that are different, I have to stop and say, there's an error here. Someone is right and someone is wrong. Unless they're trying to tell the tale... Uh, and trying to communicate something, you know, metaphorical by adding in a second person, and that part was meant to be fictional or something, which doesn't make sense to me, at least in this story, or the countless other places that the Gospels disagree with each other. I, I'm eventually, I have to come to the point and just say, these stories are, there is, I don't even know if I'd call it an error, but something's wrong. I don't believe that both of these stories are two different stories. It's the same story. One of these guys is right, one of them is wrong. So what do you do with that? I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you've been taught that the Bible is perfect in every single way, then even just me saying, like, these two stories have an error or have something off, that can really ruin people's faith. You know, when, when you grow up and you've just been told, no, there's no errors, this is a perfect book, suddenly you find one. You're like, wait, there's two in this story, there's one in the other. And that will mess up a lot of people who have been taught <laughs> that that can't happen. Because suddenly, they're like, you know, is the rest of the Bible true then? If there's one error in this perfect book, well, now it's confusing my entire world. And I have to step back and say, do I still believe in this thing? How do I work this out? So I think the inerrancy idea is, is really quite dangerous. And lots of people, including myself, had to start looking at these and be like, Something something is amiss. 
Uh, you see the same thing between First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Okay, uh, actually, I was just reading. Peter Enns has a new book um, that just came out, and it's called "How the Bible Actually Works." Then has a subtitle in which I explain how an ancient, ambiguous, and diverse book leads us to wisdom rather than the answers, and why that's great news. Kind of a long subtitle, if you will. Um, but in here, he calls attention to First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and he's like. I love this part of the book because what you see is in First and Second Chronicles, they retell a bunch of stuff that happened in First and Second Kings, but they tell it differently. It's not the same, and they're intentionally changing the details to retell it to their own audience and reprocess some of the theological things that they're going through in exile. So that right there, you know, First and Second Chronicles and uh, First and Second Kings, that's just another example of the same exact accounts being retold different ways. And you have to stop and, again, you just have to say, okay, so it happened <laughs> one of these ways. You know, these stories did not work out two different ways at the same time. It's not like First uh, and Second Chronicles is a parallel universe to First and Second Kings. No, you just have to start to learn how to be gracious with the Bible, and really how to listen to the Spirit so that He can guide you through it, because that does become confusing sometimes. Uh, that requires research to understand why it says the things that it says, but it also just requires you being completely open to the God who breathed Scripture out. Okay, God, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles are both your Scripture. It's both your Word. Now, why did you inspire them to tell it differently? Please reveal that to me. And when you ask for wisdom, the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you and begin to teach you. So uh, take that in, soak in, in that truth, and, and allow God to lead you through the little discrepancies that you come across and strange retellings of stories. It's not a bad thing. And we should not be so caught up in the idea of inerrancy that we, like, hit something like like that, where we recognize the differences and suddenly our whole faith falls apart. That's not how the Bible was meant to work. It, it, it is God's Word, um, but it is, again, it's God working through humans, okay? So why are we talking about all this anyways? It's because we're going to see another discrepancy here in Genesis 4. It's going to be one of the first ones that we really kind of encounter, and so this is going to show you this one's not even going to be a factual error. This one's going to be a scribal error, if you will. And uh, I think it's it's one that's going to make you see just like how human uh, hands were involved in this. Because you're going to hear what I'm about to describe and you're going to be like, I've done that before. And I can see how a scribe would end up doing the same thing. So let's uh, pick up in Genesis 4. Uh, I'm going to read just a quick narrative part, and then we're going to zoom in on verse 8. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you be accepted? And if you do not do well, 
Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So the next verse is where we're going to stop. But before we do that, you know, a lot of people are like, man, God was super into one guy's offering, but not the other's. What's that all about? I do just briefly, here's your real spiritual moment of the day, if you will. Um, when, when you kind of look at the words that are explained here, you know, you've got Abel, he's a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. So they both are farmers, but they do different kinds of farming. So each of them brought a portion of their farm to God. Uh, but you can see the difference in their hearts just looking at their offering, right? Because Cain's is just like, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. There's no special words, nothing describing what he brought. There's really no heart to it. It just kind of sounds like, all right, here's my grapes, you know. But then Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So fat and in Bible times, like that, that was like a very important element. That was a special thing. And it's the firstborn of his flock. So that too, that's that's more words showing like Abel's offering, he's put time into it. He's put uh, thought into it. He's not just giving just, ah, there's a sheep, I'll give that to God. Rather, it's, okay, here's the best of the best of what I have, God. It's all for you. So that right there, just in case you're wondering, like, oh, God's super into sheep, but not into fruit, I guess. No, it's just a difference in, in heart. And I think that's important for us to recognize for church, right? When we go to church, a lot of times we think, like, Yep, I'm here. I'm going to sing a few songs. I'm going to worship, if you will. Then I'm going to go home. And I just want you to recognize from this passage, just because you sang a song does not make it worship. Just because you sang a song does not mean that God had regard for your song. Obviously, though both of these have the appearance of worship between Cain and Abel, Cain's was not worship, or at least not, uh, you know, regarded very high. Well, God actually says what? He had no regard for Abel. So God doesn't like even see it. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter because it wasn't really worship. So things can have the appearance of worship and not be worship. So understand when we show up at church together to worship, it's important that we really put our hearts into it. We are not just singing music. We're joining with the saints and the angels and the four living creatures and the 24 elders around God's throne, and the holy ones, <laughs> and the list goes on and on, right? We're joining with all of them who have caught a glimpse of God, and we're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, and, and we're playing our music and worshiping him. It's not just a moment where we spew off a few words. It makes a difference if our heart's in it. Anyways, there's your spiritual moment of the podcast. Uh, but what we were talking about... <laughs> which is very much unrelated to this little segment I just did right there, is, uh, so the inerrancy versus infallibility, okay? So here's what we get in verse 8. Genesis 4, 8 says this, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now that right there might catch you off guard a little bit, because it it just seems like we're missing something. Things just kind of escalate very, very quickly. Uh, so, again, let, let me just kind of read it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and they were in the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So right there, it's just like, that was it? He just goes to talk to him and then suddenly kills him? 
Now, we're so used to the Bible sometimes being short in describing uh, uh, certain stories that maybe we don't stop to, like, notice, like, that just seemed to escalate very quickly. Um, But when we look closer, if we're really feeling like something's missing here and we start to investigate, what we'll find is that something really actually does seem to be missing here. So the Bible, as you have it, is generally a translation of the Masoretic text. This is the Bible that was kind of handed down to us, that that uh, we've translated out of Hebrew into the various translations that we have today. With the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and many other manuscripts throughout history of the Bible, we have uh, come across various uh, um different versions of the Bible that have little things that differ here and there. Um, and when we look at some of some other prominent versions outside of the Masoretic text, we see a line added in. So again, let me read to you as it is in the Masoretic text and as it is in your Bible. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. When we look at some of these other prominent versions, like uh, the Hebrew, the Samaritan, the Septuagint, the uh, Syriac, the Vulgate, it adds in uh, just one extra sentence. It says this, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and then adds, let us go out to the field. So he didn't just like, Cain spoke to to Abel, his brother. It then shows what he said. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, let us go out into the field. And when they were in the field, see, now we feel like we have this whole sentence, we haven't skipped anything, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, we stop and we're like, okay, so what's, is is this little addition here, is that really biblical? Can we just add in, let us go out to the field and that would make sense to fit there? Uh, it actually seems to make a lot of sense to fit there. And the reason it makes a lot of sense is because something very human is going on here. And like I said, you've probably experienced this before. So remember the way uh, in which people worked back then, you know? You don't have computers, phones, anything like that. You've got a scribe who is trying to transfer uh, a bunch of writing off of one scroll and write it all down on another scroll, word by word by word by word, and and he's doing this as perfectly as he can. But have you ever done that before? Like, you know, you you maybe wrote something down on a piece of paper, now you have to transfer it onto uh, a computer. So you're trying to type it all up, and when you're done, you look between the two copies, and what happens? Well, hey, there was a word or a sentence that you wrote on your paper, that you're missing on the computer. And so you're like, oh, okay, I got to go back and add that in because I missed it. That's a very, very human thing to do. And scribes had the capacity to do it too. And one of the reasons it, it's especially legitimate to happen here is because um, one sentence ends with a specific letter and then the next sentence starts with that same letter. So it would say, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. The Hebrew there ends with a letter. And then you've got uh, that phrase that goes after that, the let us go out to the field. But when the scribe looks back up, he sees the next word. And when they were in the field, and in Hebrew, that's the same letter as where he left off. So he 
looks at, I know, I wish I could visually show you what I'm doing here. He looks at his, his scroll that he's copying. He moves over to the scroll that he's writing, and he ends on that specific letter. He then looks back at the scroll he's copying, and he's now skipped two words very humanly, very accidentally, to the next time that letter shows up, which is not far. It's like two Hebrew words away, and he picks up there by accident, therefore skipping over a few words. Now, that right there is an error in a different sense. It's not a factual error. It's not a, uh, uh, a problem. And we're not even missing anything important in the Bible and missing those two words, right? It doesn't. We don't fall apart because we miss the, let's go out into the field, not by any means. But we look at that and we're like, it's a human book inspired by God. And God would never make that error. If God wrote a book, it would be perfect. But... A scribe, by all means, that's a very human thing. Your eye skips from one word to another word, from one letter to another letter, and you pick back up in the wrong place. Even though you're very close to where you were, you pick back up in the wrong place, and you have to kind of like recognize that that you did it. So today, as we compare all these manuscripts, we can compare the Hebrew and what's being skipped, and we can say, all right, uh, he's done exactly what all human beings have done. His eyes have skipped from one letter to another. So I bring all this up not to startle your faith or confuse you as to the Bible's importance. The Bible is hugely an important book. And if anybody on an inerrantist side were ever like, Jamin, you obviously don't care about the Bible because you wouldn't say uh, that it, it because you would say that it, it has occasional little errors here and there. Therefore, you don't care about the Bible. No. I mean, listening through these podcasts, you'll hear the research and the heart that I have for the scriptures, even too much. Like this past Sunday, I really, I was like, Jamin, you've just been digging so deep into scriptures and jumping from passages lately. You need to start, just get up there and tell stories, okay? (laughs) And so that was my plan. I was like, the authority of forgiveness. I'll give one passage and then I'll tell stories about forgiveness, and man, after working on that message, suddenly, like, I had more verses in this ever, than ever before. Why? Because I believe the Bible is a sacred book given to us by God, breathed by Him. And like Timothy says, it's, it's there for all these good purposes. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, equipping us all for every good work. The Bible is the book that Christians need to be focused on. And that's the same view in an infallible view as it is in the inerrantist view. (laughs) The only difference is uh, just being truthful with what we're reading, not trying to elevate it um, to such perfection that we can't be honest when we come across little discrepancies here and there. Because if we can't be honest about the discrepancies, then we end up coming to a lot of just very odd conclusions. Uh, We end up coming to conclusions where the rest of the world has a hard time believing in Christianity because they're like, man, you said this is God's word. What's all these errors about? And if we come back, we're like, oh, well, let me explain this in all these weird ways. You know, they're not going to have the faith to go with that. They're still going to be living in a plenty of rational mindset here. So to be able to come to someone and say, well, here's how the Bible works and how the Spirit works to teach us through it, that is a much uh, more reasonable place to bring everybody to see what the Scriptures have to say. Now, 
I am in unison <laughs> with inerrantists and saying that uh, this kind of liberal point of view, that this is just a human book and it doesn't matter and it's just written by people and, and God had no part in it and you can't hear God or be inspired by God in these ways and we can change what it has to say and none of it really matters to how we live today. That is all completely wrong and completely out of line with Christianity, how the Bible works, and, uh, you know, I can completely agree that this is uh, way too extreme in the other direction. So I hope today has been helpful to you. Um, we're not going to like stop and be like, hey, discrepancy here, discrepancy here. It's nothing like that. Uh, I just wanted to spend today to give you the space early on, as we're four chapters into the Bible, to give you the space to like understand it in a much more biblical light and uh, spiritual light, because this is how God works in all of his ways with humanity. He never overrules us so much so that we don't have free will. Uh, He uh, collaborates with us uh, to bring about his works. So with all that being said, hope that is helpful. Uh, We'll keep moving through Genesis when we come back uh, to the midweek edition next time. Likewise, we'll be moving through Matthew on Sunday. So we will catch you soon. And you have a wonderful midweek.